We're on, we're on week nine, so you guys should know the routine by now. And uh, We have ten words to live by, and we're on week nine. And so far we've covered that we are loved. The gospel proclaims that we are loved. For God so loved the world. It's just not the goody two-shoes. It's not just the super-dupers. It's just not the, those that go to church. It's the entire world. Everyone that has ever existed on the face of the planet is independently, individually loved by their Heavenly Father. All right? And then we've seen that the Gospel proclaims that we're forgiven. And this is exciting news that most people don't know. That all their sins have been forgiven. All their sins have been all just 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 as for God so loved the, the world that He gave His one and only Son, right? Why did He give Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation, propitiation for our sin, the one and only sacrifice? Do you know that every single person on the face of this planet, their sins are forgiven? Jesus doesn't go back on the cross every time someone accepts Him as Savior. Every single person on the face of this planet, their, friend, their sins are forgiven. It's by grace. But you have to appropriate it through faith. You have to trust. You have to rely on. You have to humble yourself and embrace that salvation. Right? There's so many people that think out there living out that life afraid of God, don't want anything to do with God. Why? Because they think that God doesn't want anything to do with them because of their sin. And they don't realize the good news says that their sins are forgiven. Literally, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit only convicts us of one sin. Because they do not believe on me. There is, there is only one. Sin means to miss the mark. Miss the mark of God. of God. To miss the mark of who God is. And there's only one thing that's causing people to miss the mark. And that's not believing and trusting on Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. And that's good news right and because we are loved because we are saved we have been the next word that we went through is saved right the whole world has been loved been loved by god the whole world is forgiven by god but you only get to enjoy this salvation through faith by embracing that gift embracing that grace Right? Faith, all that is, is saying, hearing the gospel, hearing what God has done, and receiving it as yours. Right? And then from that, we come into union with God. We become one spirit with God. One means one. Right? If I say, I have one, guess what I have? One. I don't have two. It's not a Twix. There's only one. There's only one in there. And if you are one spirit with Him, how many spirits are there? One. Your spirit has been engrafted. It's been, it's been baptized into the Spirit of Christ. In the Spirit of God. And we have become into perfect union with God. And and. and Paul says that marriage was given to us by God as a natural understanding of this union. They are no longer two, but the two become one. And how does that work? How does the Trinity work? They are three, but one. They are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're one. They're one in thought. They're one in, in 
in how, how, how they operate and how they work. They're, they're, they work together as one, but they're individually and separate. Right? You've seen that when Jesus was baptized. When Jesus was baptized at the River Jordan, you had Jesus there, and you had the Holy Spirit coming down, it says, in, in, in the form of a dove. And then you have the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The whole Trinity is right there. They're all separate, but one. And we have been made one with Christ. We are the body of Christ. Members individually, but we come together as one body. So amazing. And then we understand that we're, we have been accepted. We are not trying to earn God's approval. That He has accepted us already in the Beloved. You, got, you have God's acceptance. We've seen that we, holy, that we are holy. We are called saints of God. And, and we understand that holiness is about the wholeness of God. That if you want to wrap everything that God is into one word, the word is holy. He is, in, he is holy. In, he's all self-contained. He does not need anything. He's out, outside of time, space. There is nothing that He depends on. And when we come into, into Christ, into our union, we become holy because He becomes our all and all. He becomes our life. He is eternal life. And then we've seen that uh, the good news of being dead. That we died in Christ. You don't have to crucify your flesh. You don't have to die daily. You don't have to do any of that stuff. Do You know the Bible doesn't even say, nowhere does it say to die daily. We died once. We died once in Christ Jesus. That old man, that old nature is dead. And we resurrected, our life resurrected into the next word, we became new. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus becomes a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new species. You are a new creature in Christ. You are something that never existed before. You never existed before. And you want to know, a lot of people say, well, we're just like Adam and Eve before they, they fell. No, you're not. You're like something that never existed before. See, Adam and Eve, they were sinless. But they... They had their they were independent they had their own spirit. How do I know that they had their own spirit? Because they they fell. Do you understand that? You have the spirit of God. You have been recreated with the very spirit of God. You have been redeemed, the Bible says, forever. You are not like Adam and Eve before they fell. You are a new creation. You have the very Spirit of Christ in you. You can never fall. For you to be able to fall from the grace of God is to say that Jesus Christ would have to fall. Because you are not in God based on who you are. You are in God based on who He is. That's awesome. And He will never cast you out. When we are faithless, He remains faithful, praise God. Amen? This covenant, this new covenant, is not between us and God. This new, this new covenant is between Jesus and God. And Jesus is never going to break this covenant. And the Father is never going to break this covenant. So we are secure in this covenant because it's not based on us. It's not, it's not a re redo of the old covenant. Of you do this, this, and this, you'll be blessed. You do this, this, and this, you'll be cursed. 
It's not about what we do. It's about what He has done. And you have to understand that. And like I said last week, we talked about this newness of life and how we need to start living in that newness. And today we're going to look at, as I've already told you guys, the word righteous. The gospel proclaims that you are righteous. How many of you here know that you're righteous? Right. We have no problem saying, yes, I know I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That don't matter. This next question is what matters. How many of you in your daily life, day in and day out, do you feel righteous? That's what matters. That's what matters. Now understand, we are not moved by our feelings. Right? We are not to be controlled by our feelings. But our faith, our belief, what we believe, should produce our feelings. Right? So if we really believe that we're the righteousness of God, if we really believe that we're righteous, then you should feel righteous. You should feel righteous. So many Christians don't know where exactly they stand with God. Do you not understand what the word righteous means? Righteous, to be righteous, to mean, it means, it's very simple, to be in right standing with God. That God is A-OK with you. That you have His stamp of approval. That there, there is nothing wrong with you. Another word that is interchanged with the word righteous is justification. We've been just, justified before our Heavenly Father. Just, some people say, just as if I've never sinned. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that I am just before Almighty God? And if you're just before Almighty God, what does that do to your confidence in this world? If you're alright with God, then those scriptures that we quote, but we don't really believe either, that if God be for me, who can be against me? See, understand something. This righteousness, this righteousness, this, this is... It, because we fail to understand this righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus, we go about trying to seeking to establish our own righteousness. Our, we're trying to justify ourselves. As a pastor, I hear people all the time justifying. Justifying themselves. Listen. You don't need any more excuses. You have been justified. You are just in the eyes of God. How about in your eyes? You are righteous in the eyes of God. You are in right stand with the, in the eyes of God. How about in your, your eyes? See, this is what it looks like. A, a person that is trying to seek and establish their own righteousness, they're constantly trying to do the right thing. They're, they're trying to choose the right course, the right job, the right spouse, and, and they're trying to live right before God. Their righteousness comes from their actions rather than from their identity. See, how was Abraham found righteous? Was he found righteous by keeping the law, Abraham? No. He was found righteous by what? Faith. By his faith in God, God attributed it to him as righteousness. He was in right standing with God. And because he did not understand his righteousness... He did not understand where he stood with God. He did dumb things. He lived cowardly. What do I mean? Well, they'd go into one nation and he'd be fearful of the king. He'd tell his wife, hey, just tell him you're my sister. And it caused a whole bunch of trouble. Right? But what's interesting though 
is even though Abraham, because of his fear, and didn't know that God was for him, that, that he was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and, and because he didn't know he was righteous, it caused him to live in fear, anxiety, and worry, and doubt, right? Because he had no right standing. He didn't feel, you understand that. That's why he did what he did. But even though he screwed things up, God didn't come and rebuke Abraham. He cursed Egypt. He cursed the nation. Why? Why did God curse the nation, the king of Egypt, instead of Abraham? Because he was righteous. Abraham was righteous. Abraham was in right. He was the right one. Even, this, is what, this is what screws up people. Even when he was wrong, he was right. Because his righteousness wasn't based on his actions. His righteousness was based on faith in God. God was the one that attributed his righteousness to him, not his actions. And I know you're thinking, well, that, does that mean that I can do anything you want? Don't be dumb. If you're righteous, if you're if you're righteous, why would you want to live unrighteous, right? I mean, that's just a religious goofy thing to think people only religious people think that people want to live in sin. So righteousness is not what we do; it's who we are. In Romans chapter five, verse one. It says, having been declared righteous, then by faith we have peace towards God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who do not feel righteous, feel, they feel fearful in life. We're not, this is stuff that, the gospel is meant to be lived out. It's meant to, be, to be transform your life, your daily life. And a lot of t- reasons why people are fearful Fearful, a lot of times the reason why they're ang- they have anxiety in their life and about the future and all these things, and the reason why they, they lack real peace, and again, I've I, I, I got to repeat this, we don't base our faith on our feelings. Our feelings are based on our faith, right? You understand that? Because we live in a world right now that everything is, this is how I feel. I feel this way. Well, who told you that you felt that way? What if you didn't feel that way? What if the way that you're feeling is a lie? What if you're believing a lie? What does the truth, what does Jesus have to say about who you are? Maybe you need to believe what Jesus says about you and then see your feelings change. Right? It says... We, we, we lack real peace. The reason we don't have peace in this world is because we don't believe we're righteous. We might mentally assent that we're righteous, but we don't believe that we're righteous. If you're in right standing with God Almighty, how can anything go wrong? Right? Thank you. See, we're so accustomed. We're, we're so accustomed to the negativity and living with this anxiety and living with this fear and living with this uncertainty. I mean, there's a reason why it says the righteous are as bold as a lion. When you understand your righteousness, it causes you to be bold. You know, there's such thing as righteous anger. The reason why the church isn't <laughs> angry about the things that are going on in this world is because they don't feel righteous. They don't feel justified. The lack of peace is a byproduct of having to constantly justify your existence as a Christian. 
You're constantly having to justify your value. Justify that God loves you. Justify your actions. What a, that's a horrible way to live. Horrible. It's living with the mentality that says, I've got to do my part. I've got to do my part. I've got to hold up my end of the bargain. You weren't even in the negotiation. They're always looking for someone to give them a spiritual list. The books are filled, or the, the Christian bookstores are filled with it. All these lists, all these things that you must do, all these self-disciplines, all of the stuff. Do, 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 do. You know what that is? It's a bunch of doo-doo. It is. We're supposed to be resting in the finished work of Christ. We're supposed to be, we are supposed to be laboring to enter in to his rest. And it is labor, isn't it? We've been eating from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, for so long, it's, so hard, it's just so hard to lounge underneath the tree of life. We're like the, we're like the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So if, if, if today, if, if this describes you, if you need a list, if you want to know what you must do, I'm not going to disappoint you this morning. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. Nothing. You need to do nothing. Do nothing. When's the last time you came to church and you heard the pastor say, I want you to do nothing. <laughs> nothing you can do. Nothing you can do can cause you to be righteous, to, can earn you eternal life. Eternal life is not something we earn. It's something that we inherit. It's something that is passed down from God to His children. Right? Have you... Ever wondered why the good news is still so new to so many Christians? They've never heard the good news of the gospel? Sure, they've heard about salvation and going to heaven one day. But they have no clue how good it truly is. And as we go into this, you find out that it's gooder and, good and gooder. Right? In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For in it, the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. See, the bad news of the law proves that you'll never be good enough to impress God. You'll never be good enough to, by your own merits to impress God. So stop trying to impress God. See, this is so hard for us to comprehend. If you, can if you can never please God by your actions, then stop. Does, that make, does it make any sense to continually try to please God when you can't please Him by your actions? And truthfully, when you do that, you've actually fallen from grace. Because grace is not of works. And that's what the law came to tell us. The law did not come to save you. The law did not come to make you righteous. The law did not come to make you holy. It didn't come to, to, to it didn't bring love. It didn't bring forgiveness. It, it, it didn't bring acceptance. It didn't bring union. If anything, it brought separation. The law did not come to do any of those things. The law came to point out how our inability and how empty we are of any strength or ability to save ourselves, to rescue ourselves, to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But the good news, the good news of grace declares that 
God offers you His righteousness as a gift. And there's no strings attached. It's a gift. Are you living in that faith? It says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Are you living in the faith of your righteousness? I'm here to tell you most Christians aren't. This is so simple, but so many miss it. They fail to receive it. If you receive something, you have it. Right? We can't, we can't just mouth, yes, I, I believe that I'm the righteousness of God of Christ Jesus and not have it. We have to receive it. And if you receive it, it's yours. Any child can tell you there's only two things that you can do with a gift. Right? And we've seen them do it both. You can receive it, or you can reject it. Christmas morning, they open up the sacks. They reject them. They fly behind you. And then on to the next one. But every once in a while, they find that gift where all of a sudden, they stop thinking about opening up any more gifts. You know they received that one. See, that's what it is with the gifts of God. Is that you can reject or you can receive. And what is our response to the gift of righteousness? Have we received that gift? Or do we reject it? Are we, <laughs> are we try, trying to earn it? Are we trying to do our part? Are we trying to live up to its value? Receiving the gift of righteousness is nothing more than just saying, thank you, Jesus. This is just what I need. It's my size. It fits me perfect. It looks good on me. Righteousness looks good on me. Right on? Yeah? I look good in righteousness. He designed it for me. Right? It's not. It's not, oh no, Jesus. Let me give you an offering instead. Look at all that I'm doing. Aren't you impressed? See, we don't put it that way, but that's what we do. We, 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 we try to earn. We try to become. One thing you must never do with a gift especially a priceless gift, is insult the giver by trying to pay for it. This is what the Jews were doing in Paul's day. This is why they stumbled so hard on the Gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Looks like not much has changed when it comes to religion. Zeal without understanding what, of what the Gospel proclaims leads to self-righteousness. You can do all the things that religion tells you to do. You can read the Bible. You can have morning devotions. You can pray an hour a day. You can be a, a, a person of self-discipline. You can serve. You can give. You can work and you can work and you can work and you can work some more. But if you have not submitted to the righteousness revealed in the gospel of His grace, your work is for naught. You're just stacking up firewood to be burnt. And as Paul says, you're not saved. You're not saved. 
If you have not submitted to the righteousness of God revealed in the Gospel, if you have not submitted to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you are trying to establish your own righteousness, you are rejecting the Gospel itself. And my prayer for the church today that has a zeal for God, but are ignorant and not according to the to, to the acknowledge to knowledge and being ignorant of God's righteousness that they would stop establishing their own righteousness and that they would submit to the righteousness of God. That we are right. We have spent years and years and years wasting our time trying to make people righteous when they've been righteous all along. What would this world look like if we were, instead of trying to get people to become what they already are, if we were living the way that, that we were created? So often when people think of self-righteousness, they think of like the Judaizers that Paul had to deal with. You know what the, who the Judaizers were, right? Judaizers were, oh yeah, G Jesus is cool. Jesus is alright, right? He, he saves you, but then after you're saved, you need to follow the law of Moses. And you have to be circumcised. And you have to do all this stuff. And when you were a Greek or Roman, and an adult male, that wasn't good news. Right? Paul actually says in the book of Galatians, he says, why don't they go and cut the whole thing off? He calls it mutilation. We have been circumcised in Christ Jesus. Circumcision had nothing to do with, with, the, with the outward flesh. It had to do with the, the old man being taken away. Everything points to Jesus. Even the weird things. So, But that's who we think of. We think of the hardcore religious people. Right? But Jesus says it's the, the, small, the, the little foxes that spoil the vine. You know, we think of people that says, here, Jesus saves you, but, but you have to live righteous and keep, to keep yourself saved. What do you think about that? Having this idea that you are the one that has to make, maintain your salvation. That the responsibility is all on you now. That Jesus only brought you so far. But now you've got to take yourself the rest of the way. Again, religion doesn't say it that bluntly, but that's what they offer you. But here's the issue. It's, it, it's usually not that, that, that blunt. It's not usually like the Judaizers. It's not those hardcore religious people that, that, that wreck us. It's the good people, just like Martha. We just Remember Martha and her sister Mary? Right? Those that are serving, and they look good on the outside, but in the inside... They're ticked off because no one else is living up to their standard. And on top of it, they're not even being acknowledged for what they're doing. See, Martha was self-righteous. She was a one-woman ministry team baking cakes for Jesus. And this was... And the issue wasn't that she was cooking. The issue wasn't that she was serving. The issue wasn't that she was taking care of the needs. Right? The issue was that she wasn't eating. She wasn't eating. The chef of heaven showed up at her house. And all she wanted to do was make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's how self-righteousness works. I shared one, one message not too long ago. It's like 
me giving you a million dollar house and you saying, well, I can't accept it. It can't be free. And you pull out some belly button lint and say, here, take this. That's what our works are worth compared to the magnificence of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus showed up and she was trying to bless Him. See, self-righteous works this way. It's back to front. We are not saved or made righteous because we bless Him, but because He has blessed us. The lesser is greater, or, or is the lesser is blessed by the greater. Do you know how you know who the who the greatest is? Who who who? The one that has more blessing, that gives more blessing, and you're never going to outbless God. He will not out allow you. He will never become lesser than you. Jesus wasn't condemning Martha. That's not his way. What Jesus was doing is he was pointing to a better way. And what he told Martha was, hey, your, your sister Mary, she made a better choice. Martha did not impress Jesus by bringing him food, but Mary did by bringing an appetite. See, we can get so caught up to, in all the things that we're trying to do for God, we, forgot, we forget to eat from Him, to take from Him, to receive from Him. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served. Did we, did we forget this? But to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve humanity. See, in our twisted understanding, it's hard for us to understand that. We think people of great stature those are the ones that need to be served. But not in the kingdom of God. Those of, of with great stature are the ones that serve. It's the upside down kingdom. Or should I say the right side up kingdom. It says in Revelations that Jesus is, is clothed with a golden girdle. You know what that literally means? If you look at what, what that word it means in, in the original Greek. It means a golden apron. He's still serving. He's still washing the disciples' feet. When's the last time you let Jesus serve you? That's not... <laughs> Listen. If you're not letting Jesus serve you, you're no different than Peter. That... that says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, then you shall have no part in my kingdom. And then He says, wash my whole body. <laughs> when are you, Let God serve you. See, we, think, we, 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 we hear that and we think, that, that sounds sacrilegious. That sounds wrong to say that. That sounds her heretical. Heretic. You sound like a heretic. Not in the kingdom of God. God is all self-sufficient. He doesn't need a stinking thing from you. He has everything we need though. We need to receive from Him. And that's what grace is. By faith we enter into His holiness, His wholeness, and we receive from Him. We receive our joy from Him. We receive our love from Him. See, this is the problem. Is that we are never called to serve God. The New Testament never talks about us serving God. It tells us to serve our fellow man. Serve one another as I... And love one another as I have loved you. We're not... We... You can tell a person that receives from God is because they have plenty of love to go around. They have 
you can tell a person that receives from God because they can serve other others without being grumpy and bitter about it. It's because they have their needs met from God already. And and the things that they do in life has nothing to do about meeting a need. It's so wonderful to be around those type of people. That you're in a relationship with that person not because they are trying to get something out of you, but because they're trying to sow something into you. Why? Because they have everything that they need in Christ Jesus. We can get so caught up in serving the Lord that we forget that the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. The main dish is on the menu, and that's a healthy heaping of righteousness. Hear the words of your heavenly servant. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word filled here means to be gorged. Indicating that the chef of heaven serves up healthy, hearty dishes. Jesus is not stingy with His grace. When you partake of His righteousness, you are filled to the point of complete satisfaction. Are you satisfied with Jesus? There's so many in the church that aren't satisfied with Jesus. They're trying to look for more. And the, and the only thing I can say is because they haven't been filled. They haven't received. In John chapter 6, verse 35, it says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. The bread of life sustains, it nourishes, it fills you for eternity. If you're not satisfied, if you're not filled right now, you're not eating. We never need to be hungry again. We never have to feel incomplete again. We never have to feel fearful again. We never have to have anxiety again if we are constantly feeding on Jesus. When you have already eaten, the last thing you want to do is go into the kitchen and cook a meal, isn't it? I mean, when you have a good meal, what's the first, what's, what do you want to do? You want to lounge back. You want to enjoy. You, you want to enjoy and you want to compliment the chef. How wonderful this is. This is the best meal that I ever had. I can't eat another bite. I ate more than I should have. Right? When we're filled. How can you tell when a Christian has submitted to God's righteousness, they look well fed and content. They're not looking for something more. They're not working away in the kitchen, nor are they begging at the table. Instead, they're inviting the hungry and thirsty world to come to the table and be satisfied. See, as a grace preacher, I'm very selective when I use the word must. I'm very selective when I use the word must. I try not to use the word must very, very often. So when I said you must do nothing for God's righteousness, I mean you really must do nothing. You must do nothing. Anything you do to help the Lord in the matter of justification will, utter, will, bring, will be utterly de- uh, destructive. It will destroy your relationship with God. It will destroy your relationship with others. It will cause you to be insecure in, in, as a Christian. It will cause you to judge yourself amongst yourselves. Paul said that his Jewish, well, we are justified by faith and faith alone. 
We are justified by faith, period. That's a big period with an exclamation point after it. It's faith that justifies us, not works. Not works. And Paul said to that his Jewish brothers that they did not submit to God's righteousness, but they sought to establish their own righteousness. The key word here is submit. To submit. I have met so many in the body of Christ that are trying to earn. I've heard people say, Chad, I don't understand this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've served in the church. I've done... I pray. I read the Bible all the way through. They, they say all these things trying to justify themselves. They haven't submitted. The pride. It's, we, we are so filled with self-righteous pride. And we do not see how utterly Helpless we are when it comes to being right with God, to making ourselves right with God. And Paul said that they, that his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, that they they would not submit to the righteousness of God. They wouldn't submit to to not doing anything. That you must not do anything. Humanity is nothing more than a swimmer drowning in the rip current of sin, death, and destruction. To be saved, all they have to do is submit to the lifeguard. The problem is, is, is that if you panic and if you try to save yourself, you only make the lifeguard's job harder. And in the end, you're exhausted. This is exactly how it is with Jesus and us. We are saved by trusting in Him and we must do nothing to help Him. And it's not just to get your door into heaven. This is how we live. We live here. Your day in and day out life is lived by faith in the Son of God. Faith that you are saved. Faith that you are justified. Faith that you are righteous. Faith that you are in union with Almighty God. Faith that you have the mind of Christ. There's so much that we have. Trying to help only makes things worse and it leaves us religiously exhausted. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 It says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Don't you love the math of the new covenant? How many sins did Jesus commit? Zero. But He was made sin. How many righteous acts did you do before you were made righteous? None. The prophet says that all of our sins are but filthy rags. God did it all. You had nothing to do with your righteousness. This is good news. But are you stumbling over religion? Are you receiving it? You were made righteous, and not with your righteousness, but the very righteousness of God. <laughs> if you believed, if the church believed that we were the very righteousness of God, what, what would your life look like? Even when you make a bad choice, even when you screw up, even when you, it could be a financial choice to make or something, you can, you can trust that I'm right and God's going to take care of me because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When we think that God's not going to bring His grace to correct the situation, we're saying that we don't believe we're right. In Christ, even when you do wrong, you're still right. Does that mean you should do wrong? No. Because your righteousness has nothing to do with you. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, look at this. It says, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkenness, nor ri- rivalers, nor extorters will inherit the kingdom of God. And you're sitting, wait, I sat at a fish camp once and said that. And, goes, I, and someone says, I know, Chad. That's why I, I read that and that's me. And I said, no, it's not. We read this and we think, we think that's us. That is not us. Keep reading. And such were some of you. Yeah, that was you and Adam. That was you in, in the fallen nature. But you died. That, 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 that you doesn't even live anymore. He doesn't exist. You are made new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's not you. But you have been washed. Hallelujah. But you have been sanctified, made holy. Hallelujah. But you were justified, righteous, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. What does it mean to become the righteousness of God? It means that you are a new creation. Holy Spirit has brought a complete renewal. You are no longer the person you used to be. So many wish they could just start over. There's so many people in the world, I I wish I could just get a start over. A restart. A do-over. A mulligan. Well, guess what? You got it. If things could just be different, then if I could just do it over again, the good news is you can. You can. For the believer in Christ, it's time to start over. Because that old self died in Christ. He was buried and taken to the depths of hell and left there. And the new has come. In Adam, in Adam we were constantly missing the mark of the life of God that God intended for humanity to live. No matter how hard we try to find it, no matter what religious guru the world goes after or disciplines they try, they, they still realize that there's something about life that's just wrong. It just I'm not right. But in Christ, you have been made right. Holy Spirit now leads us in the path of righteousness. And when you hit the mark, when you start hitting the mark in Christ, when you start seeing your true identity... Sinning no longer appeals. Why? Because it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. Look at this truth. In John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, And when He comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is talking here. He says, And when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin? Why? Because they do not believe in Me. There's only one sin that Holy Spirit convicts the world of, and that's not believing in Jesus. All other sins have been forgiven. But that's the one sin that can never be forgiven. Because Jesus is the only way of salvation. And he says, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. Holy Spirit is doing three things. He's convicting you of Jesus. He's convicting you of your righteousness. And He's convicting you that this devil has been defeated. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would seek to convict us of our righteousness. Wow. Have you ever been taught that in church? No. (laughs) We think that Holy Spirit was the, the holy nag that's constantly convicting of us of our shortcomings, of our sin, bringing condemnation, guilt, and shame. That's not what the Bible teaches. got to be careful what you're saying. Holy Spirit has come to convict you of your righteousness. And when... Do you need convincing of your righteousness the most in Christ? 
when you feel unrighteous. It's when you have sinned. When you've missed the mark of your true identity. That's when you need to be convict, con, convicted of righteousness. Not when, you've, not when you're at Karis and everything's going good. It's when you're out in that world. And you walk away and say, why did I say that? Why did I act that way? Why did I do that? And you start feeling shame, feel like guilt, you feel like condemnation. What kind of Christian are you? And you're thinking, yes, Holy Spirit, yes. And Holy Spirit's not even saying those things to you. See, the problem is, is we've been sold a counterfeit. If I had a dollar bill laying on this stage, one dollar bill sitting right there, and I had $10 million on a pallet right here of all counterfeit bills, which one would you rather have? A dollar bill, why? It's real. The counterfeit isn't good for anything. And that's what religion is. Jesus cursed the fig tree of religion. Why? Because it had leaves. And fig trees produce fruit before they produce leaves. So it had the appearance of having fruit, but it had no fruit. And he cursed it for being a counterfeit. And that's what religion is. And I truly, truly believe that that was the tree that Adam and Eve ate from. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because what did they cover themselves up with? Fig leaves. The form of righteousness. But denying the power. Form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. No fruitfulness. It's just a pile of counterfeit money that's good for nothing. See, when you're feeling unrighteousness, is it's it's when you sin, it's when you miss the mark. That's when you need to be convicted by Holy Spirit that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you you're probably asking, then why do I feel guilt? Why do I feel shame? When I miss the mark, it's because you are more tuned to the voice of the accuser of the brethren than you are of Holy Spirit. And religion has helped you to, to miss his voice. You are more tuned into condemnation, guilt, and shame, thinking that it's God, than you are of Holy Spirit. You have been taught through religion that the devil actually do, what, the, what the devil actually does is what God is doing. Many and then many times it's our own consciousness that condemns us. You have a conscience, right? It was given to you at the fall. It's the knowledge of good and evil. Your eyes will be open and you will know what is good and what is evil. So your own consciousness will condemn you. That's still not the Holy Spirit. Our conscience came from the knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus said when the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will seek to remind you of your true identity. That you are still, the righteous, you're still righteous because you are in Christ, the righteous one. Holy Spirit was sent to glorify Jesus and lead us into all truth. And truth is who? Jesus. He came to convince us of our righteousness. Who is that? Jesus, right? Understand this. Holy Spirit is not closing His eyes to your sin. Let me say it again. Holy Spirit is not closing your, His eyes to your sin. Holy Spirit is trying to get you to open your eyes to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only answer. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Put on the new man, which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. By God's... Well, we need to change our thinking. We need to change our thinking. We need to put off the old corpse that is dead in Adam. We've got to stop carrying that stinking man around. Right? We dress him up. We put lipstick on him, rouge, put, put a nice suit on him. Look how wonderful my old man is. No, he's dead. He stinks. And that's just stinking religion. We have to change the way that we think and put that old man dead and buried in the grave and put on the new man that was raised with Christ. By God's grace, He has made us new. But we need to walk in the newness by faith. You have to receive the newness. You have to walk in it. This has to become your identity and who you are. The righteous live by faith. When you sin, it takes absolutely no faith to feel unrighteous, does it? Does it take any faith to feel unforgiven? Does it take any faith to feel shame? Does it take any faith to feel guilt and condemnation? No, it takes no faith to, to, to feel any of those things. But it does take faith to look at Jesus and listen to the Holy Spirit and confess, I messed up. But because of Jesus, I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God and I am in good standing with Him. That takes faith. And if you don't believe me, you've never done it. Do you see how liberating the Gospel is? Do you see how freeing this is? We have truly been set free. Instead of wasting our time worrying about sin, you can get to the joyful business of living well and right. Righteous deeds are what righteous people do. I'm not saying that, you're, that, that you aren't ever going to make a dumb decision. And I'm not saying that there isn't a such... And, and I'm not saying that there's such thing as, as righteous wrongdoing. Right? Sin is sin. Right? But what I am saying is that you don't that we don't practice righteousness to become God's children. We practice righteousness because we are God's children. This is all about trusting the one who made you the way that you are. Who now now orders your steps and who swells your heart with God-sized dreams. This is about really living, folks. What are we waiting for? You need to be convinced of your righteousness. The gift of God. We need to fan this gift of God into a flame and go for it in this life. We need to live deeply in Christ and be a person, the person that He made us to be. For your future is bright and the best is yet to come. In Proverbs 4.18, listen to this. It says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Your life, as you walk this world in the righteousness of God, needs to be getting brighter and brighter and brighter. When you stumble in sin, an old covenant preacher will say, look at what you did. A new covenant preacher will say, look at what Jesus did. An old covenant preacher will have you turn from every sin until you're turning and turning and turning and all you are is a dizzy sinner. A new covenant preacher will release the grace of God that empowers you to go and sin no more. Under the old covenant, you are righteous because of what you did. Under the new covenant, you are righteous because of what Jesus did. You have been declared righteous, recreated to be like God in true righteousness. So what does God want you to do with the gift of righteousness? He wants you to receive it. He wants you to walk in it. He wants you to rule and reign with Him in it. The Gospel is not a list of things that you must do to inherit eternal life. It is the announcement that the righteousness that exceeds that of the, of the Pharisees and the preachers of the law comes to us as a free gift from God. You have been made righteous, and that's good news. In one word, 
I guess you could say that's the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are righteous. We are complete in you. We are in right standing. We have been justified. And because we are right and we are, we are just and we have been justified, we have purpose and destiny in this world. We have a right to be here. We have a right to see the kingdom of God come in our life. We see, to see it manifest in our life. To demand that the devil stop. That he lets our children go in the name of Jesus. That he lets our grandchildren go in the name of Jesus. That everything that he has robbed, killed, and tried to destroy, that he puts it back in the name of Jesus Christ. That we would stand with confidence and boldness in life. That we would have peace because we know that we are in right standing. That we would have joy because we know that we are A-OK with the, with the Creator of the universe. That we would be as bold as lions because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we ask that the voice of religion would become silent and that we would truly hear Holy Spirit convicting us of our righteousness. Convict us, Holy Spirit. Convict us of our righteousness in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karis.com.